Want to have better conversations? Join the Small Talk Made Simple class. In this 10-day email course, you'll learn how to be more confident and competent at approaching people, having meaningful conversations, and talking about yourself. And it's completely free. Sign up now at thecmethod.com. You're listening to Stand Out Get Noticed, the show that helps you communicate with confidence so you can stand out from the crowd and get noticed by all the right people. To subscribe to the show, go to thecmethod.com. Hi there, Rockstar, and welcome back to the podcast. My name is Christina Cantors, and I am your host, and this is episode 76 of Stand Out, Get Noticed. Let's get straight into it. I'm really excited to introduce you to my guest this week. Her name is Belinda, or BJ Jackson, who is an Australian business and career coach who is based in New York City. Now, I did say last week that I was going to do an episode on how to MC, moderate and facilitate, but because last week's episode with Terry O'Reilly was had a focus on career development, I, I wanted to share Belinda's episode first as a, like to follow on from that one because we're also talking careers as well. So I thought I'd continue on the theme. So how to MC and moderate will wait for another week. Okay, so Belinda has a business called Procell International, which does business development, especially helping businesses who are coming into the the US, uh, helping them with market entry strategy, all of that. And she also has another business called Working in the US, where she helps individuals to change their current career, transitioning to a new career, etc. And that is why I wanted to get her on the show because. I've not talked about this before, but really diving deep into how do you go about making a career transition? And this could be from anything from starting a new business or like leaving, say, your corporate job to start a business. It could be taking on a new role within your company. It could also mean changing careers from one field to another field that might seem completely unrelated, but you might be like, you know, sick of working in your existing field and and you want to try something new. So if that sounds like you, keep listening because there's a lot of good stuff that BJ shares. We talk about how to transfer to a new career or role, how to recognize your unique skills, how to convince other people like hiring managers and and recruiters that you're the right person for the job even when you have no experience. Okay, so there's a lot of good stuff in this episode, so make sure you keep listening. Show notes will be at thecmethod.com slash bj. That's thecmethod.com slash bj. Oh, and also make sure you listen right to the end of the episode because I'm including a bonus tip from BJ on why following your passion is bad advice. So make sure you listen all the way to the end of the episode. Alrighty, let's get to it. Let's discover how you can confidently and successfully make a career change with BJ Jackson. My first question, however, was, what's the story behind your name? I think since I was um, a little girl, like um, from when I was about 11 or 12, I think one of my older siblings or older friends used to watch MASH and there was a character on MASH who was <laughs> called BJ and and my name's Belinda Jane. So, yeah, long time, long time. Oh, so it's Belinda Jane. Yes. Okay. 
Because I, I was, I thought that the J was for Jackson. There you go, BJJ. Ah, so it is BJJ. Awesome. <laughs> so we met in New York City, which was amazing. Our mutual friend Kaz connected us, and it was really great to meet you. And you told me a little bit about what you do in New York, which is business consulting. You help professionals. You help Australians who are coming to to New York to get set up as well. Can you just explain in your own words what are the main things that the main services that, that you offer? My um, uh, main services, are, I'd say I'm a business and career coach. And so I have a business called ProSell International and that helps businesses in the business development space and especially overseas businesses coming to us, to the, the States with their market entry strategy. And, um, and then I have a business called Working in the USA, which is all about help, helping people actually working here in the States. And, um, and I do a lot of help with pe- people who are one, coming in from overseas and two, um, whom are, for whatever reason, deciding on taking a new career path. And that could be just looking for their next step in their current career or it could be actually transitioning. Whatever, whatever their goals are, I can help them. Sometimes mm. I get, I do some coaching of people, uh, whom are looking for, um, a promotion internally or alternately helping them, uh, prepare for their annual performance review because that can be a bit daunting sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. So the people who come to you for help, do they have a, a sort of similar backgrounds or are they quite varied? Complete. Completely varied. Uh, so, for instance, I have clients uh, who work in the arts, who want to work in, move into corporate. I have clients who work in corporate who want to move into uh, the not-for-profit space. I have p- people who work in corporate who want to actually set up their own business mm. and become a freelancer. So it's completely disparate. Everyone's got their own specific needs and wants really. And what are the what are the main challenges that hold them back or serve as stumbling blocks with that sort of transition? I think the biggest one actually comes back to confidence, which as I know is something that you focus on a lot, um, Christina. I think when we've trained, let's say, for instance, we've trained to be a lawyer or an attorney um, and you've worked in that and perhaps if you're in the United States, you've most probably done a course called pre-law, then you've done your master's degree in law, then you've worked in the area. So you've actually been working on this for 10, maybe 12, maybe even 15 years. And you get to a stage and say, actually, I really don't want to do this. This is not making me happy for whatever reason. So it's a big leap to suddenly be thinking, gee, I actually want to be writing. Or So how am I going to do that? So my advice to people in those kinds of situations is to actually do what I call sort of a transferable skills inventory. You know, so I I suggest people do a a personal evaluation of what are the skills that I I have, what are the skills that I want to use, what are the things that I'm interested in, and build out from there. But how do people know which skills are actually transferable? So there's two ways. One is, first of all, most 
most probably 80% of the skills that we use in any position will actually be transferable. So um, if you're working in law, for instance, um, you are interviewing clients, you are using your analytical skills, your writing, all of those skills are, are very transferable skills. Um, you know, if you're a policeman, you know, you're actually dealing with the public a lot, so you really build up your skills in customer service. Mm. Police Policemen don't actually realise that, but that's one of their best skills is their customer service skills. And so so they transfer into a customer service position exceptionally well, but it can actually be quite threatening for a policeman um, because they don't actually, they don't perceive that initially. So I would suggest, number one, do a personal evaluation of what you think the current skills are that you use and then try and think about the things that you actually like and what might be those jobs that you might be looking at. And often you can actually map many of those skills directly across. Um, sometimes it needs some more, you need some more education and that's okay. But, um, but I think if you can actually map out those skills that you want, that you have and that you want to develop, then it gives you a starting point. And then the other things that I think are really important is to actually think about your value systems so that your, any future role that you're looking for will match with your value systems. Mm. What about the blockages that you'd face? from the companies that you're actually trying to get a job with, if they look at your resume and go, well, we're a non-for-profit and you've only ever had, you know, private sort of commercial experience, we need people with non-for-profit experience. Like what mm. what do you do in that situation? Yeah, that's a great question. And this is particularly relevant in the United States. In the United States, um, there tends to be a lot of direct matching from your current position into the position that people are recruiting to. So if they're recruiting for someone in a not-for-profit, they actually want that not-for-profit experience. Um, so one way that you can actually build that capability and experience to be able to sell yourself very effectively is, is by doing some volunteer work. And that works. It's very easy to actually get volunteer work in a not-for-profit because they're often looking for um, – you know, they're often looking for additional support and assistance and, you know, an additional pair of hands. So you can really build up some experience in that way. So do you have, do you have an, ex an example or a story of a, of someone you've helped or even someone you know of who successfully has made an unusual career change? Sure. So, um, I have a long list. So I'm just thinking about the not for profit person. This is an Australian who came from a space. Uh, she'd actually done a marketing degree at university, um, and she'd worked uh, in a marketing role in Australia. She came to the states. Uh, she got a job as uh, on a special kind of visa called a J one in a coffee shop, and she was desperate to try and work in the not for profit space. And, um, and I suggested to her about volunteering, uh, at a not for profit 
and she started doing that volunteering and, and she volunteered for I think between about six months. Okay. And then she got this fantastic job uh, at at a not for profit. Um, and she emailed me and just said, "Oh, thank you so much for the introduction. Thank you so much for the advice. I've got you know my dream job." And uh, and that was you know a very a very big move for her, but but it worked very effectively. I've had a chef who wanted to move into the social media space, and he um, and he actually did some additional online courses so he could build out his skills, understanding HTML, WordPress, how he could um, blog and things like that. You know, really building out his understanding of social media. Mm. And, and then he got some part-time work while he was able to continue chefing to pay his bills. What were um, what were the transferable skills from chefing to doing social media? So he'd worked as a chef and and he'd actually done some training of other chefs. Okay. So he was able to take all of those communication skills around training people plus he started doing some writing online and and doing some social media for the restaurant. So he was able oh, to okay. actually transfer those skills quite effectively. And so that took him about six months to really build up those skills before he was, you know, in a position and to to even have feel like he had his resume in a good enough in a tight enough position mm. to be able to be applying for, for, for roles. And then I think it actually took him another six months to get a position. I think one of the biggest concerns that people have and the biggest fears that people have around making that leap is the confidence in, oh, my goodness, am I going to be able to do this? Can I afford to do it? And I think if if I can give any you know free advice here, that is actually create out a plan for yourself and that might be I'm, what, what additional skills do I need for this job if I can't build my skill set on a volunteer basis or doing an online course or doing a weekend course. So, you know, you need to think about those skills and work out how you can build them out. It might be that you say, I'm going to take a two-week vacation and go and do a really, really tight course. Or it might be I'm going to actually do, you know, an online course that's three hours a week, you know, for 12 months, and that will build out my skills. Mm. So the people who you've seen transfer to new careers – do you see that it takes them sort of at least that six-month mark of sort of building up skills? Because um, in both examples you shared, they both of those people had taken about six months to build mm. out build out their skills. Is that like a, a bare minimum you, you tend to see? I think in the States it tends to be around that six-month mark for me as, as a minimum. So from when someone actually decides I want to do this, then they need to actually build that skill set because, as I said earlier, in the States, a hiring professional wants someone who's actually got the experience that they're prepared to hit the ground running, whereas in Australia I think hiring professionals are a little bit more open-minded, see the transferable skills and also believe that they can develop skills. So... I feel as though in Australia a hiring professional wants someone to have 80 to 90 for 90% of the skills that they want and then they believe that the other 10% will come with the internal knowledge, whereas in America I think most hiring professionals are looking for someone who's 99% competent before they even start. So I suspect it takes a bit longer here. But 
you know, the, if, if you're looking at a major change in your life, you know, that's not going to happen overnight. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know? I when I quit my job, I spent a good year learning and before I actually came back and launched my business officially. And, and even then, you know, it takes, it takes a lot of time to establish yourself as, you know, I'm this new person, you know, this is, this is what I do now. This is my career. So it definitely, definitely takes time. Exactly. So if I could just turn the tables on you for a moment, Christina, tell mm. me what was the sort of breaking point for you to say, gee, I don't want to be an architect anymore. It was when I became a registered architect. <laughs> <laughs> And? I, was, I was, um, so I was studying to get registered as an architect and I realized I learned what it's actually like to be running your own practice. And I thought, I, I don't want to do that. I'm not cut out for that. And at the same time, I became quite frustrated with working for, um, the company that I was working for. And I thought, you know, I want to be able to make my own decisions and go on vacation when I want and, you know, why does, why is someone else telling me what to do all the time? Um, so I, I got very frustrated with that. So actually it took me from that moment that I made that decision, I started sort of plotting my exit and I thought about what I wanted to do. And that's when I did the podcast course, I launched my first podcast, but it took me six months, <laughs> funnily <laughs> enough, after I made the decision, it took me six months before I quit my job. And then I left the country and then spent another year learning and traveling and meeting new people and building up my own brand before officially launching my business. That's really interesting story. And did you think about your transferable skills or were you wanting to just relaunch yourself completely? Well, because as an architect, I had had to present and I often put my hand up to present and speak. And that's where I saw how important it was to be able to do that. So that was pretty much directly transferable to what mm. I was going to do, which was going to be teaching public speaking and, and, and confidence. But what I didn't appreciate at the time was my architecture experience in that it gave me a, a point of difference. You know, people seem to be very interested in the fact that I used to be an architect and I actually use that as a selling point now when I, when I talk to people and I say, look, I used to be an architect. I'm very creative and I bring this creativity into my teaching. And people have mentioned that they, they really like my creativity. They think that's something that makes me stand out. Um, and that definitely relates to me sort of me being, you know, doing, having this creative career beforehand. So that was, that was a transferable skill for sure that I didn't appreciate at the time. Cause mm. I thought, I think this is important for people to understand as well. Cause we all have skills that we don't even realize the value that that skill has in other areas. Because I thought, I didn't realize I was being super creative. I was just being me. I was like, well, this is just what I do. Like, why wouldn't you do that? But then other people said, you are so creative. That's amazing. I didn't even, I wouldn't even think of that. And I'm like, oh, okay. Yes. And it, it didn't even occur to me. I love this story. I love this story. And this, um, if you don't mind me telling a story that sort of reminds me mm -hmm. of, of you in a different way, that is one of my clients who's in management consulting and she's got very broad uh, capabilities. But she was actually a champion ice skater. 
And, okay. and recruiters love the fact to see her champion ice skating. She said to me, do I take this off my resume? And I said, not at all. Because that there's, if you've been a professional sports person, you have a certain amount of grit and competitiveness mm. within you. And so that's an example around she wouldn't have seen that ice skating was relevant to management consulting at all. <laughs> and yet there are those transferable skills in that grit of someone who's actually been prepared to fall over many times but still make it work to be able to train hard to be able to actually be very competitive and particularly in that management consulting sales space, you need to be a very competitive person. So it's very, very powerful. Mm. But how, if, but if you do have these transferable skills, how do you then communicate that to the recruiter? And in, and at what point? Um, cause I'm just thinking if you, say you send in a resume and you send in a cover letter, it's very easy for a recruiter or an employer to look at it and go, oh, they don't have experience in this um, in this area and, and, and sort of um, dismiss it without properly, properly thinking about it and going, well, they've got skills here that could be transferable because, you know, a lot of hiring managers aren't going to spend that amount of time. So how, how can you quickly communicate those transferable skills and show them that you do have you have what it takes and you have a certain you know you have a point of difference over other people I I think there are two ways I think number one uh actually to include a skills inventory within within your resume some way Mm. and the other and the other thing to do is to look at the specific role that you're that you're wanting to apply for, that you're wanting to actually pitch yourself for and think about the skills that that hiring manager is looking for and work out how you can draw out and highlight those specific skills in the experiences that you've had. And whether you do that in your resume or your cover letter, you need to work out how you can actually do that in a very succinct, articulate way. Um, and it sounds really easy when I say it off the top of my head like that. And <laughs> I'm, we're very well aware that it's not all that easy and it takes time. And, um, and I think, you know, you need to think it through very carefully. And that's why having a career coach, having someone else to talk it through with is, is incredibly powerful. I'm a big fan of, um, if you want to stand out and get people's attention, you've got to do something different and, I saw a story once on LinkedIn about a a woman who had no experience in marketing or whatever the job was that she was applying for, but she was but she was very creative and she created a resume bar, which was a chocolate bar. So she she got a chocolate bar and she printed on the wrapper um like her name and in the ingredients box, she put like list of skills and then in the sort of dietary, like nutritional value, instead of sugars, carbohydrates, proteins, she wrote um, like de- uh, dedication, commitment, hardworking and um, and had like 100%, 100%, 100% in, in all of those categories. And she sent this bar to this um, company that she wanted to work for. And even though she wasn't skilled enough, to work there they got her in for a chat anyway and they and they actually helped her to find a job somewhere else 
a great story. Yeah, they were so impressed by her that they said, you know, come in, we want to help you because you've because you're so creative and you you stood out and you've done an amazing job and you've clearly got potential and we want to help you. Yeah, I thought that was a great story. Oh, that's a great story. That's really clever. I think that creativity really, really stands out in this day and age. Absolutely. Because, yeah. like, what is it that people only spend, what, seven seconds looking at each resume on average? Yes, I think, that's I think in, like that. Yeah, yeah, I think in America that might actually be a slight exaggeration. It's most probably now down to five. <laughs> <laughs> I hate to say that, but... Um, well, that's actually if you get lucky enough to be seen by a resume. In fact, in America, there's um, there's computer software that software that sees resumes initially. So most resumes wouldn't be seen by a set but set of eyes until they actually until they go through the first pass. What do you mean they they put it through a computer to scan yes, it? Yes, I refer to I refer to it as as a, as a as a robot. I say, oh yes. You know, resumes get seen by a robot initially and there's, and it's just specific kind of software. So they put in, um, they will put in all the criteria, the specific criteria that they're looking for. And, um, and unless you match with that criteria, you know, 80% of the basic sort of core criteria. So for instance, if you're looking for, I don't know, a marketing person, you know, they either need to have, you know, a marketing degree at whatever level or they need so many years' experience in marketing. Um, and unless someone actually matches that by 80%, they won't even get seen by an individual. Oh, my goodness. That's a bit sad. Even more reason to send a chocolate bar. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, I love the chocolate bar um, idea. I think it's a great one. I know that it's very difficult when you branch out into a new field or a new career to have that confidence in what you're doing. What's your number one confidence tip for someone who's in a new career or role? Um, so I think I think actually having a mentor is really powerful, whether that mm. be having a mentor internally or externally. I think being able to, and sometimes it could be a family member or someone whom you used to work with or a good friend or sometimes a professional like me, but having someone whom you can touch base with so that if you have a bit of a confidence knock, that they can talk it through with you and work out what your strategy is for the next day, for the next time, so that you're constantly building your confidence. I think the other thing is, you know, just be prepared in those first couple of months. Be prepared to just commit a hell of a lot of your energy to, to work. And personally, I cancel all my social engagements for the first two two months of a new job. So that because I I don't mm. I want to be able to go into work fresh. I want to be able to understand the organisation. I want to be able to engage with everyone very confidently. And I make sure that I exercise every morning. I eat really well so that I can go in in the morning and people see me at my best and put my best foot forward because I think that really, that first impression is very powerful in a new organisation and that builds your confidence very successfully and it gives you a very good foundation in the organisation, particularly when you're looking at working in a corporate. I love that. That's awesome. I mean, it's it's definitely hard work at the start, but then it'll pay off in the long run, won't it? 
Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and in the big picture, honestly, eight weeks of not doing social stuff doesn't matter. No. It doesn't matter in, in your <laughs> career. BJ, it's been so awesome having you on the podcast. If people want to get in touch with you and learn more about um, the, the work that you do, how can they reach out to you? Sure. They can uh, email me at belinda.jackson at procell.us or they can look at my two websites. One is work, called workingintheus and the other one is procellinternational.com. Awesome. Thanks, BJ. Any final words for the listeners? Uh, well, uh, yes, one final word. I think life is too short to be getting up every day and doing something that you don't like to do. So if you're not happy in your job on a long-term basis, do a mind map. Think about think about what you want in your life and where you get joy to, so that you can actually create a position that you like. Love there it. There you go. <laughs> Thanks again, BJ. My pleasure. Thanks so much again to Belinda or BJ Jackson for being so generous and sharing her wonderful wisdom with us. I'll put links to how you can get in touch with her and to her, her websites at thecmethod.com slash BJ. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with someone who you think would also benefit from it. I really, really appreciate it when people share the podcast and it just means that it, more people get to listen, which is the whole point, <laughs> really. Just tell them to go to thecmethod.com. There's a link there to the podcast where they can subscribe or just tell them to search for Stand Out, Get Noticed by Christina Cantors in iTunes and they can find it there and subscribe. Too easy. Alrighty, and that's all from me this week. Keep on being awesome and I'll see you next time. My name's Christina Cantors and this has been Stand Out, Get Noticed. The things that I hear a lot of career coaches say that is, find your passion and then everything will flow from there. I don't say that because I work in New York City and let me tell you, 80 to 90% of the waiters who work in New York and bartenders in New York, um, 80 to 90% of them are actors or singers or comedians and that that's their passion and you know, at any point in time, 93% of actors are actually unemployed. So a lot of those people who are working, working in those space as, as a waiter won't actually end up being successful actors. So I say find something that you can really like to do. And I think that's, and, and maybe your passion actually ends up being something you do as a hobby. And that's okay too.